turn to Exodus chapter 24. Exodus chapter 24. If you see Hank Martin walking around with a tissue in his hand, he is a killer this morning. Um, if you don't know this yet, but we walked in here this morning and there were well over 100 yellow jackets all over the place. Up there's a hole in the wall. They were coming through there. I put a piece of clear tape over it. But uh, I don't know where they're all coming from, but uh, we're still getting them. But uh, we've killed a bunch of them. And uh, so if they come around you, just let them alone. They won't sting you. But if you whack at them, they're probably going to get revenge. So please don't do that. Uh, we did get rid of a big nest out in the metal shed. I think I got rid of most of those last night. I burnt them out. But uh, we can't burn these out, so unless we want, don't want a building anymore. So I should have preached the sermon I preached two weeks ago today when it was about the hornets that God sent ahead and, uh, you know, got rid of the Hittites and the Hivites and the Canaanites. So uh, if I come out, if, if any yellow jackets come against you, check, make sure you're not a Hivite or a Canaanite or anything like that because maybe that's, well, anyway, that's a dumb, dumb joke. If you've listened to the music that's being sung this morning, you've heard something about an awesome God, a God who reveals himself to us. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, because in a very unique way, God is going to reveal himself to Moses. If you think about this, when you read the Bible, between Moses and the Apostle Paul, a really big chunk of the Bible has been revealed to us, that God's Word has been revealed to us. And when God's world, Word is revealed to us, it actually is revealing God to us. How do I know that? Psalm 138, <clears throat> verse 2 says this, that He has magnified His Word according to His name. In other words, the name of a person represents the whole person. Your reputation, your credibility, your integrity is all wrapped up in your name. If somebody says Paul Mulfair, immediately something comes to mind. If they say your name, immediately something comes to mind. Your reputation's on the line. And when God reveals himself to Moses, God's reputation, his credibility, his integrity, his holiness... His awesomeness, all of the things we've been singing about are all wrapped up in his word. And so today, while we're going to see God revealed, we're also going to see his word revealed uh, to us. If you remember, and you need to think back here a little bit, God has revealed himself to Moses at least four times, starting in uh, Exodus chapter 19, Moses went up to the mountain, met with God, came back down. Went up again, came back down. Now, I don't know about Moses, he's about 80 years old at this point, but that guy's got some legs on him because he is walking up, hiking up the mountain, hiking back down, telling the people what God said, and he does it a minimum of four times. That's how much we know uh, for sure. So I guess he's in pretty good shape for an 80-year-old. I sure wouldn't want to be doing My knees would be killing me. But God is revealing himself in an extraordinary way to Moses 
and then ultimately to us because a vast majority of the beginning of the Old Testament was written by Moses and a good chunk of that was given to him while he was on the mountain. So we're going to now turn our attention to chapter 24 of Exodus. Hopefully you have a Bible in front of you. Verse 1, and this is the spoken record that God is going to give. A lot of people get this wrong. They have watched a movie on TV or whatever, and they think Moses hikes up the mountain, God gives them two tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments on them, he comes back down. That's not actually how it worked. The Word of God was given verbally before it was given in stone. We'll see that at the very end of this chapter. But God revealed His Word to Moses verbally, then Moses came down. And we're going to see that Moses went up again, comes down. He writes it down, and then he reads it to the people. Here's why I'm saying all of this. is because all of us need constant reminders. I heard Peter, when he was praying or doing the announcements, he said he was reading through Psalms today. We constantly need to be reminded of what God had said. The children of Israel, when God was giving the law, were reminded over and over again in numerous ways, verbally by Moses, then read by Moses, and then they're ultimately going to see it on tablets of stone. So God makes it clear we need to know who he is. And God does not just simply say, oh, I'm going to reveal myself just totally in an open way. Uh, I was reading an article this week of a, of a, a web or a, a email that I get and said that um, about a year and a half or so ago, there were a lot of people who made it known they were speaking for God. They were prophets. And they prophesied that a certain person would be the next president. And they prophesied wrong. I know what the Bible says about false prophets. And not a Maybe some of them apologized and said, hey, I was wrong. But God doesn't just say, oh, I'm going to reveal myself and I'm going to reveal what I want just in a willy-nilly kind of fashion. He doesn't do that. As we go through and look at what he does with Moses and then ultimately to the people, we'll see that God is very meticulous in what he reveals. Praise the Lord, we don't live at Mount Sinai. We have a completed, perfect finished word of God. They had part of it. They had the law, which basically showed how holy God was and how sinful we are and how we could not earn our way to heaven. We couldn't live good enough. The law made that very clear to us. Today, we have the finished work, and as we go through this, I believe this is really important stuff. So, anyway, we're picking up at verse 1. Then he said to Moses, this is God speaking, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel, and you shall worship at a distance. Moses alone, however, shall come near to the Lord. God isn't even revealing himself and his word to a group of leaders. He's revealing to one person. 
The only other person that I know of that's even close to Moses would be the Apostle Paul. Moses goes up into the very presence of God on the top of Mount Sinai. The Apostle Paul says he was caught up into the third heaven. And he was shown things that he was not allowed to tell anybody else. Moses was told, no, what you see up here, you go down and tell the people. Now, obviously, we know the Apostle Paul wrote the vast majority of the New Testament. But there were things that he wasn't even allowed to talk about. Being in the present, coming near to the Lord, is what happened in this situation. And then in verse 3, it says, Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of the Lord. So he is coming down for the fourth time, the minimum of a fourth time. And he says, you're to recount all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances. And all the people answered with one voice. All the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. Isn't that wonderful? They had already done it once before. They said, anything the Lord tells us to do, we'll obey. Now they're saying it again. And notice, it's not just one or two or the leaders. It says they did it as one voice. I believe I have an application for me and hopefully for you. Sunday morning, when I hear somebody preach or I hear a lesson or even hear what I say, I go, yeah, that's what I need to do. And I am resolved that that's what I'm going to do this week. My words are going to be right. My attitude's going to be right. My actions are going to be right. And I'm going to do what the Lord wants me to do. Isn't that wonderful? I have my devotions and the Lord shows me something. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do that. <laughs> Joe's laughing at me. About 15 minutes later, I'm going, Wow, I did really mean that. Now I blew it already. I don't think you're much different than I am. <laughs> Joe and I are on the same page here. The, but the point is, we have right intentions. I, I'm not faulting these people. They, I believe they really meant what they said. But saying something and then carrying out are two different things. When I think about this, is getting married really easy. You go before the preacher or whoever and you say, I do, and it's done and it's finished. And now you have to live out the marriage. Having children is easy. Raising them is not. I think Craig was talking about that in Sunday school. Hey, it's, it's not easy, raising children. Uh, getting a job, you, you sign on the dotted line, they say, you know, you show up for work and we'll pay you this. Hey, that's really easy, signing a contract. Getting up every morning and getting there is a different story. And I believe all of us are that way, and that's why we need to be reminded over and over and over again of what God has said. And I may, I may step on toes when I say the next thing here, but uh, it has been very easy over the past year and a half to get lazy. There are people, and they've, they've told my wife and I this, is like, yeah, we've gotten lazy. You know, we get up, we get our coffee, we sit in our easy chair, we turn on the live feed from Garden Chapel, and we sit back and we listen. You know what? Nothing wrong with that if you can't get out. 
But God makes it clear that we need to be with other people and we need to see other people and be encouraged by other people and just have that interaction. And that's what God is doing through Moses and the other leaders here. We all need that. And so when Moses comes back, and now I'm in verse 4, when Moses comes back, he wrote down all the words of the Lord, including the Ten Commandments and all the ordinances and everything else uh, that God had told them. So the first time the law and the Ten Commandments are written down are not on stone. That happens at the end of this chapter, but not now. Moses comes down and writes it down. Now, I'll do a really quick, this is the quickest. You can look this up uh, and check it out if you, if you want additional information. But years ago, people said, you know, Moses could not have written the, the first five books of the Old Testament because Moses couldn't read and write. That is just simply not true. Now, where did the alphabet come from? Where, where did writing come from? Well, Moses was already writing down back in chapter 17, right after they came out of Egypt, because they had been fighting with Abimelech, and God told them, write down this so people remember in the past. It was the first big test. Maybe not the first one, but it was a big test when they came out. And God said, write it down so the future generations show, are, are shown what, we ha what I have done for you. And so Moses wrote it down. Moses absolutely could read and write. I know that. Why? God told him to write it down. Alpha, an alphabet had been in use for a minimum. It's more like probably two to 400 years, but at least 100 years before the Exodus. There had been an alphabet. It started out in Egypt, most likely. Uh, they had hieroglyphics, which were pictures. Uh, they had about 24 pictures they used. Uh, but you had to add the vowels and all that kind of stuff. Well, by the time Moses was being schooled in all the learning of Egypt, remember that from the beginning of this book? So he would have been taught hieroglyphics as well as an alphabet. He would have known all of these things. And so uh, it became Aramaic eventually with no vowels. Peter knows about this. I've never taken Hebrew. Uh, and then it went through Israel and then went up to Phoenicia. And ultimately, that's where pretty much most of the world gets their alphabet from. But Moses would have known how to read and how to write and indeed was quite capable um, to write down God's revelation as God revealed himself to him. And one of the things that I find fascinating, we have supported over the years and continue to, uh, if you come to prayer meeting on Wednesday nights, we're always praying for some of our missionaries as they do the final checks on their translation of the Bible for a particular tribal group. They have an alphabet. God gave that, the Greeks and the Romans, you know, kind of made it a whole lot easier to use. I know a little bit of Greek, not much, but it has vowels, and I still can't pronounce it right. I don't know how in the world you did hieroglyphics or a language with no vowels in it. I, I don't know how they did that. But today we have the tools that we can get the Word of God in written form to others. 
Is it just like Moses giving it to the children of Israel? No, because that's when it was first given. We're simply turning around from English or whatever and translating it to the next language. But God wants people to know the word of God. That's why one of the reasons why we spend a lot of our resources and our money on missions. Rightly so, because God wants to reveal himself to people. And he has, from the very beginning, revealed it by writing. And he has done that. So we continue to go in that direction. And then we find out that God is going to have the record confirmed. And we're going to pick this up in verse, the end of verse 4. And he arose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain with 12 pillars for the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the sons of Israel, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. And you go, what does that mean? Why, why you have peace offerings and you have burnt offerings? Two particular reasons. A burnt offering is something that's totally consumed by the fire. It's holy for the pleasure and the worship of God. The whole animal was burned up in smoke to the Lord. The New Testament says that we are to be living sacrifices. That same thing. It symbolizes that we're giving our whole life. See, God doesn't want an hour on Sunday morning or a couple hours during the week at church or during your devotions or Occasionally when you think about praising the Lord. No, he wants your whole life. That's a whole burnt offering. That's who we should be. But then there's peace offerings. The New Testament equivalent would be our communion service. Where we celebrate the work of Christ, but we participate. And a fellowship or a peace offering always had the person, persons, offering the sacrifice ate some of that offering. The rest of it was offered in smoke to the Lord. And so it's ultimately first to God, but we're included in it. It's relational. It's experiential. One is totally focused on God. The other is focused on the relationship that we have with God. And that's what he is doing. And notice why did he do it? Every time God reveals himself, lets himself be known, Look at Genesis, look through the rest of the Old Testament. When God reveals himself, the first thing they do is build an altar and offer a sacrifice. Because he's worthy. That's what we sang this morning over and over again. We have an awesome God and, and all of those words. That's what we should do. We should be those grateful, thankful people that he has made possible. And then Moses takes the blood from these sacrifices and some of it, he sprinkles on the altar when they were offering the sacrifice. But then he takes the other half, he puts it in a basin, and he took the, uh, he read it, and then they took the blood and they sprinkled it on what he had written and on the people. Anybody that was there, from what I can tell here, is they got splattered with blood. And now we have a three-peat. You know what a three-peat is. A repeat is you say the same thing again. This is a three-peat. The people, once again, verse 7, and all the Lord has spoken, we will do, we will be obedient. 
And in this case, it wasn't just verbal. Now it was read, which is also verbal, but it's written down. And so he sprinkles them. He uses most likely the hyssop. Now, here's something that's really important. Look at verse 8. I want you to follow. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. You go, is that important? The answer, it is absolutely fundamental and foundational because the book of Hebrews, which is the commentary on the Old Testament for those of us who live under the New Covenant, makes that very clear and actually quotes this. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 16, it says, For where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. For a covenant is only valid when men are dead. For it is never in force while one, the one who made it lives. The first covenant was inaugurated, was not inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people, according to the law, that's what we just read, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people. And here's the quote, saying, this is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. When it uses the word covenant this way, it's kind of like what we would call will. A will is just a bunch of words until you die. The moment you die, a will is now in effect. And it says this is what should be done. That's what he's saying here. It's vicarious. The blood of the bulls and the goats for the Old Testament law. For us, the final, perfect, complete sacrifice on our behalf is Jesus. There are people who believe that the church started back in the wilderness or during the, the early part of Jesus' ministry. Totally wrong. Because guess what? The new covenant which we live in called the church could not have happened until the death of Christ. Because the new covenant could not be valid. That's what it just said. It required someone to die. In the Old Testament, it was animals. The New Testament, the perfect Lamb of God, spotless, without blemish, Jesus Christ. We have something the people at Mount Sinai could never even fathom in their thinking, above and beyond. Awesome doesn't even quite fit. It's way better than that. And it goes on to say, in Hebrews 9, verses 13 and following, it says, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify them for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? For this reason, he is a mediator of a new covenant. Since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Folks, 
If you leave here the same as you walked in, you miss something. If you don't appreciate what Christ has done for you in a little bit or a lot more than you did when you walked in, you haven't been listening to what God says. Because we have something way above what Moses ever had revealed to him. What the people in the wilderness ever had spoken to them. We have something much, much, much better. Theirs was temporary. Priests stood day after day offering the same sacrifices, which according to Hebrews, could never take away sin. They could cover it over, that's atonement, but they could never take it away. John the Baptist beheld the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's not about me, not about you, not about Garden Chapel. It's about Christ. Get your focus, keep your focus. It's all on Him. Picking it up, God is going to give us some more information, starting in verse 9. Then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. Now I have to tell you, usually I stand up here and I go, this is what the Bible says and I know exactly what it says and here's what it means. I'm going to be totally blunt with you. I don't fully understand the next of what I'm going to tell you. But I'm going to tell you what I know and what I believe. And tonight, we're going to, on Sunday nights, if you never came Sunday nights, Sunday nights, a lot of times, I ask if anybody has a Bible question or a practical Christian question, and we'll spend a half an hour or so discussing. Tonight, we're going to discuss the last part of my sermon. So, you want to, if, if you're confused when I'm done here, Come on back tonight, and we'll discuss it till the cow, well, not till the cows come home, but we'll discuss it for a while. We'll discuss it. Because, notice what it says, and they saw the God of Israel. Does, does that kind of cause a little confusion? Because I know what the Bible says other places, and um, I know that God came in the form of a burning bush, I know that he came in the form of a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. But it says they saw the God of Israel. Now I know what the rest of the Bible says. So let's look at what the rest of the Bible says and see if we can make any sense out of this. In fact is, one more thing I should say, is it says in Exodus 33, it says, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. Face to face. Now, I think I know what face to face means. But it also says in Exodus chapter 33, verse 20, Thou cannot see my face, for there shall be no man see me and live. I don't believe the Bible contradicts itself. I just know that I don't fully understand this. So let's step back a step and look at a bigger picture. First of all, I know what the Bible says. And in John chapter 4, verse 24, it says, God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Have you ever seen a spirit? 
I hope nobody puts your hand up because you cannot see a spirit. A spirit has no physical appearance. It is non-visible by its very definition. And it says in John chapter 1, verse 18, No man has seen God at any time, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained him. I'll come back to that one later. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16, it says, talking about God, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to be to him be honor, eternal dominion, amen. Nobody can see God. That's what it says. And uh, it goes on to say that um, a, a, a number of other things, in fact, is he made it clear in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 15, that you better not make any idols because you never saw a form. So anything that's an idol that represents God is fake because they had never seen God. Do you understand where, where I'm at in this, this whole thing? And I'm trying to put it together. And I racked my brain this week. So and, and on vacation, I worked on this too. And I racked my brain is there something I can go, oh, yeah, I got it. I'm not there. I'm not that smart. I, I may, maybe I wish I was smarter than I am or more spiritual or something so I could fully understand this. But it says, you, you did not see any form on the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, which is another name for Sinai, from the midst of the fire. So don't make any graven images. Remember, eventually they're going to make a golden calf and say, this is the Lord that brought you out of Egypt. You've got to be kidding. He says, don't do that kind of thing. But it gets worse because it also says in Scripture, it says, you can never see God and live. Here's what it says in Exodus chapter 33, verse 20. You cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. And then he goes on to tell Moses, because Moses wanted to see God's glory. He said, Moses, hide in a big crack in the rock. I'll put my hand there, and I'll let you see, the, my, my opinion, the afterglow. He said, you'll never see my face, but you'll see my back. So what did, you know, did Moses see God? Well, it says he saw his back. I don't know. One thing I do know and this is the good part for all of us, is it says in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. I don't know if you know what that word dwelt means, but it means tabernacled or tented. Now, if we had a tent here, and you were inside, I would know that you're inside, but I would not be able to see you. That's exactly what Christ's flesh was. He had a human body made of flesh and bones and all that, just like ours, yet without sin. But God dwelt totally, fully, completely in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the God-man. But the glory was hidden by his body, his flesh. And do not be fooled by the old artist's paintings that have a 
glowing halo around his head. He did not walk down the street with a glowing halo. There's nothing in the Bible that indicates that. But here's what I also know. When he walked down the street and somebody saw him, they didn't fall over dead because he was in flesh and it hid his glory. So <sighs> Jesus revealed God completely to us, but in a veiled way. God also could appear to people, and I'm just going to use one illustration, and you know it well. In Genesis chapter 18, Abraham and Sarah are camping out, and all of a sudden three men are walking down the road. Notice, three men. And it says in verse 1, Now the Lord appeared to him as a man. The other two were angels, and they appeared as men also. And you know the conversation, and he, he tells them that Sarah's going to have a baby within the next year and all those kinds of things, and they talk about destroying Sodom and Gomorrah and all, all that. I'm not going to go into the story. But it simply says that the angels, who looked like men, they walked on and went to Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Lord... Uh, was the one who then departs. So he can appear as a man, not just Jesus, but an indescribable or indescript man. He done that. Here's what I come up with. You can agree or disagree with what I'm going to say next because I don't know if I believe what I'm going to tell you. So fair warning. Was Moses a special case? Was he different than every other person in the world? There are some things that just look that way. And I do not, I am not telling you this is what I believe or you should believe. But I think you need to wrestle with it. I'm going to go to Numbers chapter 12 because I think this is the one. And you can turn there if you want. It says uh, there in Numbers chapter 12 verse 6. He said, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him, I speak mouth to mouth, even openly and not in dark saying, sayings. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? There is something different here. I know you can't see a spirit. And it doesn't say he saw him as a man. But he speaks mouth to mouth and face to face and openly. I don't have a good answer. That is not usually what I do from up here. But I don't have a really good answer. I am still going to be keeping working on it, but the uh, sermon is coming. You have to come to a conclusion sometime. And I've looked up what other people thought, and you know what they do? The same as every of Craig, Craig's going to agree with me. Anytime there's something hard in the Bible, you know what every commentary does? They go like this, and keep going. That's what they do. And that's exactly what they do with this. 
So I'm not alone. There is no theologian who's a whole lot smarter than me and more spiritual than me that has a really good answer. They just avoid even talking about it. But I'm willing to talk about it because I'm willing to put it out there and just let you know I don't know everything. And I don't know if any of us do. But it says one more thing in Deuteronomy chapter 4, I mean 34, verse 10. Since that time, no prophet has arisen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. I, I, I put it all together and I still don't have a good answer. Usually I think of myself when I'm studying for a, a sermon or teaching or whatever, like a spiritual detective and I get all the information together, put it together and now I've got a case and I can say, here's what the Bible says, here's what it means. In this case, here's what I can say. Where I started. God doesn't just indiscriminately reveal himself. He did it very specifically to Moses up on top of the mountain in the cloud with fire. The Apostle Paul reveals himself in the third heaven, which is the presence of God. He reveals himself. He says, Moses, go down and tell the people. He says to Paul, go down and don't tell them what I, you just saw. He does that. So can God do something beyond what I understand personally? I assume he can. Did Moses see a fire? Did he see a light? Did he see whatever? Did he see a form of a person? I simply don't know. I just know what the Bible says. And I take that and just say, I still have a lot to go till I understand that one. So, but it does say that when they saw God, and that's where I jumped off, so we're back in verse 10 again, but they did see under his feet a pavement of sapphire clear as the sky itself. Now, a clear sky is kind of, you look up there and it's a little bluish, but it's kind of a, it's not a form of something. It's just pure cloudless day, and all you see is just a background of blue. Is that what they saw? But it says that was under his feet. I don't believe a spirit has feet. I don't believe a spirit has a mouth or a face or arms or legs. And I know the Bible uses all of those things. But I do believe that somewhere along the line, something is special about God revealing himself to the people through Moses. My jury is out on exactly what that looked like. I challenge you, you want to you, you twist your brain up for a while? Work on that one. And if you come up with anything good, by all means, let me know, because I would be more than willing to learn more about that. Tonight, we'll discuss it in some additional detail. And so Moses is on the mountain. He comes back down, and uh, I'm, I'm sorry, he goes up in the mountain, and he remained there, and that is when God gives him the tablets of stone. And in this case, uh, God, it seems God cut the stones out and God wrote it in there. So if you want to know, is the Bible the word of God? Let's start with this one. It was written in stone. That's what we say. Is it written in stone? In this case, yes, it's written in stone. And who wrote it? Moses? Somebody's opinion? No. 
It was God himself who put it in stone. How, how do you get it more clear and concrete than that? Actually, it's not concrete, it's stone. But how do you get it more in that direction? And so um, he comes back down. And uh, the whole Moses is up there for 40 days and 40 nights. And it says there in verse 17, this is at the end of the chapter, and to the eyes of the sons of Israel, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. And Moses was up there in the midst of that cloud for 40 days and 40 nights. So he's going to be up there again for 40 days and 40 nights, but this is the first time he's up there uh, for 40 days and 40 nights. The challenge is this. Has God revealed himself? The answer is yes, he has. He's revealed himself in creation. He's revealed himself in Jesus Christ. He's revealed himself in many, many other ways. Does he do it just in a random fashion? The answer is no, he does not. And in this case, it's very specific that he revealed himself to the children of Israel through one person, Moses. Moses had a unique relationship. That's, that's very clear. That part I don't have a problem with. He had a unique relationship because it makes it clear. He's the only prophet that God spoke to and revealed himself to in this particular manner. No other prophet like Moses. That's why when they were getting on Moses' case and they were disagreeing, uh, pretty clear. It's like, why are you reviling Moses? Because God has a relationship with him that you don't have. So be really careful. But I encourage you. We have the word. I usually do this the first Sunday in the new year. But I'm going to challenge you. If you haven't been in the word of God, seeing God reveal himself, showing us who we are, showing us what he has done for us, I'm challenging you, get your Bible out. I'm not going to tell you how long to spend or when to do that. Get your Bible out. Not so you can teach a class. Not so you can win Bible trivia. So God can reveal himself to you. That's the challenge today. Because God is a God who's not just up there and, you know, high above us, which he obviously is. He's the creator. We're the creation. But he's a God who wants us to know him. Praise the Lord, the blood of the new covenant. The person of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice, the, the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, his shed blood is what makes it possible for us to have that fellowship, that peace with him. I talked to somebody this week, uh, on, or, no, last week, on vacation, one of my tractor pull buddies, and I apologize, I said, to my shame, um, the years that I've been talking to you, I have never flat out asked you, have you trusted Christ? And in, in reality, he is a believer, but he said, man, I... I I get it wrong. Guess what? The thing I love to do the most is teach. And I got to show him. It says, doesn't work for your salvation with fear and trembling, but you work out your salvation 
with fear and trembling. Christ has done it all. How do I appropriate it to my life? That's the challenge this morning. Let him reveal himself to you and then let it change your life. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Make that a quadruple Pete. I don't know if there is such a thing as that. But make that your, your endeavor today. That what I know about God, I'm going to put into action. That's what they did. They blew it. I know they did because I read the rest of the story. And you will probably at times too. But here's the, bo- the bottom line. You can come back because the covenant's already done. It's taken care of. It's eternal. The blood of the eternal covenant is what we don't rely upon. And then we simply live it out. Let's all stand together as we close.